This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I've had this book in front of me for a while and just haven't had the opportunity to to bring it to you. It was published back, I think, in 2019. Uh, It's called Gaze Upon Jesus and Experiencing Christ's Childhood Through the Eyes of Women. It's edited by Kelly Walquist. She brought a great team of women around her to bring in. uh, We're going to be talking specifically about the method because there's uh, multiple meditations on the childhood of Christ given to us in a way that invites us to think more deeply than just a single way of study. Kelly is the founder of WINE, Women in the New Evangelization. It's a women's ministry that invigorates Catholic parishes through inspiring, supporting, and nurturing women in the faith, and this is the important second part, by equipping and mobilizing women as intentional disciples of Christ. She's the director for the Archbishop Flynn Catechetical Institute, a popular school that serves Catholic adults in the Archdiocese of St. Paul and Minneapolis in Minnesota. Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. So I I get a lot of books, and I spent a number of years as a director of faith formation and evangelization, and I've seen a number of studies, uh, and so many of them uh, are enriching and uh, important, but they they direct our attention to one kind of of studies. But you have, with your, your team of authors, really put together a comprehensive kind of study. So you bring in, in every chapter, some visio divina, some contemplation, and and as the title says, gazing upon Jesus uh, in a particular way that engages the mind differently than if you were just to be doing a, a Bible study. But you also bring in Bible study. You also bring in this kind of Ignatian imagination where you have a, 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 what what might it have been like, and there's this little almost fictional um, imaginative telling of that event, which may not be perfectly historically accurate, but that again, that's not the point of it. The point is engaging our imaginations to put ourselves in the place. Uh, and I, I think it's just beautifully done. And I want to give you and your team kudos for that, but also come and, and pick your brain as to what, uh, what brought you to the idea of bringing all these different kinds of contemplation and study together uh, for the topic of the book. Okay. I got to give you a little, a little backdrop on it all. Okay. It'll, it'll build. I promise. Uh, we will, we will get to the, the essence of it. Um, it's part of wine, which you announced earlier, which is women in the new evangelization, which is a national Catholic women's ministry that um, it's a great name wine, but right. it's not about the wine we drink. You know, it, it really, it does pique pe- people's curiosity, though, but it is the curiosity that then culminates in Christ. Because what wine is all about is it really takes its roots from John 2, 5. So it's the wedding of Cana. And it's Mary's final words to us where she says, do whatever he tells you. So wine is about doing the will of God. But we just contend that as women, we're radically relational. And it's much easier to do God's will when you have your sisters in Christ who are supporting you, nurturing you you know, lifting you up when you're feeling down and very important, rejoicing for you when you're elated. Uh, So wine really is about uh, uh, elevating women in their gifts and rejoicing with them. It really comes from that visitation, right? You see Mary and Elizabeth 
and also in the book, but you, you see that Elizabeth rejoices in the gift of other. You know, she okay. could have she could have been thinking, you know, I have been so good and so righteous my entire life, and this little whippersnapper gets to carry the Christ child. You know, she could have been upset, but she she wasn't. She really she really rejoiced in the gifts of others. So that's what wine is. It's about inviting women into relationship with other women, so that we can have these solid Catholic Christian relationships and go deeper in our relationship with the Lord. So everything culminates towards Christ, so we can be, you know, activated disciples, be out there and and sharing the good news. Um, the gaze upon Jesus. I absolutely love. I love this book, and it's it comes from our first book that we did, which was Walk in Her Sandals, experiencing Christ's passion through the eyes of women. So now you're gonna have to read that one. Right. Uh, it's a good. Yeah, you'll love that too. It's a good Lenten book, but just uh, so you have a little essence of or a picture of how it came to be. Because you're right, there there are a lot of moving parts, and I know when I told the publisher, they're like, there are a lot of moving parts. <laughs> But it's yeah. beautiful how well it, the Holy Spirit weaves it all together, right? As you were uh, talking about the charism of wine, it, it really plays out very clearly in how the book was constructed, in finding the individual gifts of individual women uh, in a supportive community and together exploring those gifts and utilizing those gifts for the greater benefit of the other people in the group. And then, of course, uh, all of us who benefit from that on the other side, uh, because you have— um, you have Sarah Chris Meyer doing the scriptural work. You have Elizabeth Lev that's doing all of the Visio Divina, who just is fantastic in her experience of art history and her ability to translate that to others. Uh, and so finding all of these people who specialize in particular ways and then inviting them to to contribute to the greater whole, it's it's just masterfully done. Well, again, the Holy Spirit <laughs> and wine has a charism of unity. It is so mm-hmm. it is so drenched. And the Holy Spirit. I will, I will say that. And if, if anyone ever goes to a wine event or participates in a wine book club, they feel that because there's a, there's a palpable joy. Sister Ann Shields called it a palpable joy with wine. Uh, but it is the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that created this. So I'll give you a little bit of the, the background. And it, it started with walking her sandals and then it pours over to this. So you can see how it, how it, was, how it came to be. Um, it was Friday during Lent. And uh, we have a service, we don't mass, right? But we, we receive communion. And so I was kneeling and praying after receiving communion. And the choir was singing, stay with me, remain here with me, watch and pray. Do you know that song and all? It's very, I'm, I'm not going to sing it, <laughs> but it's very beautiful. And on, on um, Holy Thursday, our choir sings it and everything goes dark and everybody leaves and it's beautiful and it's silent. But this was Good Friday. And so they're singing it. I'm like, Lord, and this is what I'm saying to my Lord and Savior, right? Lord, this song is stupid. Why are they singing this today? This is so yesterday. This is so Garden of Gethsemane. You're dead. You're buried. Who's watching? Who's praying? You know? And just then it hit me. People say, how do you know when the Holy Spirit is talking to you? Or you, you're, you're being, you know, getting little insights from the Spirit. And I, I just get bombarded with a download of thoughts. Mm-hmm. And instantly as that, that crazy prayer to my Lord and Savior came off my lips that the song was stupid. Uh, and I was saying, who's watching? Who's praying? Instantly in my head was like, oh my goodness, somebody is watching and praying. It's Mary. She's mm-hmm. with them. They're, they are in despair and she is watching over them. She is watching over them. She's praying. You know, and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to enter into Jesus's passion, death, 
resurrection and the coming of the spirit the way Mary did. And then boom, you know, another thought. Well, we do. We can, we, we can do that in the, you know, in the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary or in the stations of the cross with Mary um, or the passion of the Christ. Do you remember that? I mean, everything was through the eyes of the mother. So then I had this other thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could enter into Jesus's passion, death, resurrection, and the coming of the spirit, the way in which we were created to as women. And within four minutes, it was all in my head. I knew exactly. I, I didn't know. I'm like, is it a book? Is it a study? What is it? And I got home and it was rather late. So I, I just wanted to download it. So I called my friend Carol and I just downloaded everything to her. And like this, now this will go back to what you were saying about the women being in their, in their positions, you know, or being in, in their gifts. I think my gift is recognizing the gifts of others and placing them in that. The next morning, um, first call went to Sarah Chrismeyer. Yeah. You know, instantly. And I, and I said, Sarah, can I, you know, I told her the whole story. I was kneeling, I was praying. I told the Lord, the song was stupid. Yeah. I tell her everything. <laughs> and uh, I was just on fire. And I said, so I want it to be Palm Sunday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Resurrection and Pentecost. And I said, can you give me the aha moments of scripture from all of those? Can you tell me, you know, why is it the month of Nisan when they, you know, why are they bringing in the sacrificial flock at the same time Jesus is coming in? Why, why do we yell Hosanna? Why do we put down palms? Why can a king's feet not touch the ground? You know, all these things. And she said, I'm so in. Yeah. And so then my next call went to Stephanie Lansom. And so Sarah writes, she's in Philadelphia. Stephanie is in Stillwater, Minnesota. And she writes biblical fiction and she's a phenomenal phenomenal writer. And so I called her and gave her the whole story again. I was kneeling, I was praying, told the Lord the song was stupid, you know, the whole thing. And I said, can you put me in the scriptures? So I'm on the streets being jeered, you know, as as we're yelling Hosanna, I'm feeling it. I'm I'm part of everything. And she's like, I'm in. Mm -hmm. And as you know, she hit it out of the park, right? Yeah. And then the next call went to Massachusetts to Pat Gohn. And I, who's the author of Blessed, Beautiful, and Bodacious. And I said, Pat, can you get, tell, teach me about the gifts of the feminine genius? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be receptive? Like, as a woman, I, I'm receptive. I, my body's created receptive. What does it then mean for me to receive Jesus into my heart the way they received him on that first Palm Sunday? And of course, she's like, I'm so in. And then I thought, okay, this is good, but this is 2,000 years later. How do we live this? Right. How do we really become activated disciples of Jesus now? And so then the calls went out to different women to say, can you tell me how you live this? And I remember calling Teresa Tamio and I said, T, you know, you come from a big Italian family. You know, pretty much all you do is eat and drink, right? And pray, I suppose. But it's a big Italian family. So, you know, why don't you take the Last Supper and generosity? And then she ended up writing what she called my holy cannoli moment. And it's mm -hmm. it's great. You know, you can relate to this. And then it, because we are women in the new evangelization, we wanted to also put in, you know, questions and challenges. So how do you go and how do you now live this? So all of our books come with a study guide and journal. So that's the essence of how walk in her sandals came to be. And that was Lent. Thinking along these lines as you're describing it, and you mentioned uh, Teresa Tomio and being from a big Italian family, it just kind of, it reminds me of uh, of a lasagna, right? There's always another layer. 
It's the same meal, but there's always another layer. I love that. I'm going to tell them that. So our our books were just compared to lasagna, and they are delicious. Let me tell you. And yes. that pairs. And we have a great wine that would pair nicely with that as well. Um, so so when it came to gaze upon Jesus, oh, one thing too, in, in everything we do with wine, we have four characteristics. We call it one is sisterhood. Um, doesn't matter if you're 18 or 108. Whatever you do with us, we always hear it. I feel like I belong. And we're like, mm-hmm. you do. The second is scripture and prayer. Everything, everything is drenched in scripture and prayer. And we teach Lexio Divina with everything we do. Um, the third one is the aha moments of the scripture. You know, oh, is that why we do that? You know, because if you mm-hmm. discover something, you're more, you're more eager to go tell someone. You know, you find a good restaurant, you're gonna tell everyone, right? But if you if someone's telling you these are the rules, you must do this. It's like, I ain't doing that. But when you discover it, so it's kind of the discoveries of the truths of our faith. And then the last one we say is beauty. So I say all that to say that in our books, we teach Lexio Divina. So you're prayerfully praying with the scriptures and you're doing this in these stages of, of prayer. Um, and when we got to gaze upon Jesus, so we had had the one for Lent and then it was just on my heart to do one for Advent. You know, why don't we bookend this? So I'm like, okay, well, what do we know of Jesus's early years? We know the joyful mysteries of the rosary. All of those are his early years. And then there's one more aspect that we know in scripture, and that is the flight to Egypt. Mm -hmm. So then we had our six weeks there. And then um, just praying about who could be part of this book. It was already a no-brainer for me that I was calling on Sarah Christmeyer again for scripture and Stephanie Lansom for for the biblical fiction. Um, But then all the other women... And one thing I really wanted to add in this book was Visio Divina. I actually think I have a book here by um, Father Mark Hadou. He really got me into Visio Divina probably about 10 years ago. And so as you're prayerfully praying with sacred art. In fact, even just this morning, we I work at the St. Paul Seminary. That's where the Catechetical Institute is. And our rector before our meeting, we actually did Visio Divina. And so it was like, oh, this is great. I mean, I really like this where you're 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 really praying with that art or reading the scripture and looking at the art. And Liz Love is a good friend. And with wine, we also have Wine and Shrine, which are pilgrimages to Italy. And so she's always our guide. And she, like you said, I mean, you nailed it. She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to art history. I I don't know if there's anyone better. I don't think there is, yeah. I think if the Pope wanted to know something about the art, he'd be calling her. (laughs) I mean, she's that good. And she's funny, you know, so she, she, she keeps things moving. Um, so I, I called her and one of the things that really inspired me is the picture that's on the front of the book and it's the rest, rest on the flight to Egypt. It is my favorite painting in the Vatican museums. And so I actually was, I was, uh, well, this was a while ago. So Skyping where we I was, I was Skyping with her and I was explaining this whole concept and I wanted to have Vatican art in, in this book and to do this Visio Divina. And so she's in her apartment in Rome and I'm telling her this. And I said, well, here's my inspiration. And I showed her the picture of um, uh, Barocci's the, the rest on the flight to Egypt. And she just started laughing and she said, do you mean this one? And she stood up with her Mac MacBook walked over to her entryway and turned it. And there it's, it's the picture that hangs in her entryway. And I thought, well, that ain't the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's my inspiration. It's, 
in both of my offices, you know, so at, at home and at, at work. So um, she was right in. She's like, I would love to help you do it. And in gaze upon Jesus, instead of looking at like the gifts of the feminine genius, we look at the virtue, mm-hmm. like the virtue that is then that goes with that joyful mystery. And so Maria um, Johnson writes that and she does a great job. And then again, you know, six new writers to say, okay, how does this relate to me? So that, and, and I did earlier say, like, I want people to discover like, oh, that's why we do that. And when you're reading and you're in the story and you're Mary at the Annunciation, um, it's so powerful. It's very Ignatian, right? It's Ignatian spirituality. Well, if I say to someone, hey, you know, do you want to learn Ignatian spirituality? They'd be like, no, I'm, I'm washing my hair that day. No, yeah. it doesn't sound as fun, right? But when we hear, and I hear it all the time, uh, especially after Lent, after Advent, when women have gone through this book, they're like, I have never prayed like that. Mm-hmm. Never. That is amazing. And then even this past Lent, I heard someone say that she had been doing the Ignatian contemplation. And putting herself in the story, she said, but I've never been the woman. I've always been like putting myself in Peter's place. Or and she said, it was just so powerful, you know, to be in that and to be seeing everything through the eyes of Elizabeth and what that, what yeah. that was like. You tell a story in the introduction um, of an early experience you had of, of contemplation and of Visio Divina at your first communion, um, where you, uh, you know, you've got you've got a seven year old who, through circumstances, you ended up taking uh, receiving your first communion before the rest of your class. Uh, and as you were telling the story, uh, you said that your parents intervened and asked the the pastor if you could receive Holy Communion early, and that they promised that they would properly. Um, properly prepare you. I was ready for you to say that you had no clue what was going on and that your parents hadn't prepared you because I've been in that role of faith formation and evangelization. And I've seen, I've seen that kind of thing of, oh, well, here are the best intentions. But you tell the story of going up and receiving, and it's during a, a, a hymn. And I'm going to let you take over and tell the rest of that story here today. Yeah. Okay. It was a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was seven. And I would, I think I even say this in the book, I was super special, right? Because yeah. I got to receive my communion six months before everybody else. I was, and, and so that was pretty cool. Because then everyone's like, what is it like? Yeah. Um, no, my parents, I, I do it. And I also, have, um, I knew my grandma would have me well ready to go. And then I also have an aunt who's a, a Franciscan sister. Um, so I, I knew, I come from a very good, solid Catholic family. And it was my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. And so that's why they asked if I could receive my first communion on their wedding anniversary. So I still, I do have the picture. My grandpa's got his hand on my shoulder and it's, it's very sweet. And I've got the Tony Tennille haircut. People have to go Google that and see what that was. Um, but it was, it was sweet. So afterwards, what my aunt who had planned the whole mass had planned is for me to go and put a rose in front of the statue of the blessed mother. And then to just stand there while they sang on this day, oh, beautiful mother. And so I got up there, I'm seven, so you're kind of squirrely anyway, I suppose. Right. And I put the rose in the vase and I was standing there thinking, how long do I have to stand here? And then all of a sudden I started looking at Our Lady's face, you know, like she's like looking down at me. And 
it probably wasn't that big of a statue at seven. It seemed huge. Maybe it was like right. three feet or four, you know. Um, but she's, I just was mesmerized. I was like so taken in by her look that I lost track of where I was to the point of where my aunt was like, Kelly, Kelly, you know, after the song was done, <laughs> get off the altar. Um, but it was, it was something that was just so beautiful that drew me in. And just, it, it, I think it was also a little gift from, you know, here, here I've got the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in me. And I'm staring at this beautiful image of a woman who gave him, you know, uh, mm-hmm. his body, <laughs> quite honestly, or, you know. Um, so it's just, it was just, it was so powerful. And it was funny because I didn't, I had forgotten about that until I started getting into this Visio Divina. We have this concept of what prayer is, right? Prayer is um, praying in Novena. It's expressing verbally something. It's finding, uh, maybe even expressing verbally our own internal thoughts, either an intercession or an extemporaneous prayer. And the idea of, of prayer is limited to our thoughts and expressions. And there's something so powerful about a contemplative prayer that isn't a verbal expression, whether that contemplation is of a passage of scripture in Lexio Divina, whether it's a, a the, the Visio Divina, the, the gazing and contemplation on um, a visual piece of art, or even the contemplation on an idea of who God is and our relationship to him or who the saints are in our relationship to them and are part of this universal body of Christ that, um, that is exceptionally powerful, but exceptionally difficult to communicate and to instruct in, right? There's this, it's almost like you have to, to do it and maybe do it with someone who's doing it well to be able even to figure out how to do it. And I, th- I think that's one of the really beautiful things about this book series is that you're invited into a kind of contemplation that's difficult to explain, but you get to do it with some other people who do it quite well. And so through that process, you're even beyond the book. You've put the book down, you're done with it, but now you have the tools. You've gone through that process. You have the tools to do that kind of contemplation about other things. Yeah. And you know what? And how important is that for today? I, it, it, you, I mean, not only is it hard because you're, you're trying to learn how to do something, but it's so busy and we're bombarded mm-hmm. with thoughts and, you know, everything. It's, I just learned today in a meeting that um, a goldfish has a nine second um, attention span and they figure right now humans <laughs> have about an eight second. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> we're just like, cause we're flipping through our phones so much and we're getting these little, you know, dopamine highs, you know, from everything, whatever images we're, we're seeing a new pair of shoes, a new car, whatever, um, looking at that stuff. So it is, it's so important for us probably more now than ever to just sit back and contemplate and be still. And, you know, and so I, I love that you say that, that this gives you that kind of that guide, kind of like a trail guide. Like, okay, we're going to teach you how to do this. Um, and Stephanie Lansom, who writes that biblical fiction, is does such a good job. And um, I'll have to ask you which, who your favorite character was in Gaze Upon Jesus as you're going through that. But I loved um, on, the, on the rest, on the flight to Egypt. Um, so that chapter, I loved, loved how we saw that. 
how we saw mm-hmm. Mary and Jesus fleeing because Herod's going to kill their baby. And we saw it through the eyes of one of the wives, or a wife of one of the three wise men. And I, I, and I love the character. Her name's Adrena. And I, I just, I, even after I was done with the book, I still kind of have a relationship with this character, you know, to think that, wow, we to picture ourselves in that moment in the scriptures and seeing it from that viewpoint. And I know right. Stephanie, Stephanie worked really closely with Sarah Christmeyer and Dr. Mary Healy, Dr. Deborah Savage, um, you know, just to make sure that we had, we don't want to be heretics, you know, you can, you can't really get an imprimatur on a book that where you're doing biblical fiction. But we, of course, we had Archbishop Shapu went through it, Archbishop Hebda, Bishop Cousins, you know, so, um, but they worked really hard to be accurate. You know, I, she, I, yeah. there was a lot where they would be going back and forth, you know, would this, would this happen? Uh, Dr. Mary Healy was absolutely wonderful in, in helping us there. Um, but that just, I just thought of another thing when you were talking earlier about women working in their gifts as they were writing this and I'm telling they're all over the country. And mm-hmm. the, the first one walking her sandals, I think we did within, I want to say six months. It was very quick. And when I had it all put together and then I, I weave, I write in and out of all of them, right? I write the beginning and the end and then, you know, a couple all the way through each chapter. Um, but as I'm reading it, you would have thought that Sarah Christmeyer, you know, wrote hers and then handed the paper over to Stephanie and she wrote hers and then handed it yeah. over to, you know, like to Liz Love and she wrote hers. You would have thought they were all, and she's enrolled, you know? you would have thought they were all in the same room. I mean, and, and again, that's the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit at right. work. Um, but I want to know who your favorite character was now. <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> well, so I, I the, the story of finding Jesus in the temple is such a, an important one. Um, and I just, I, I love that you took the time to spend time bringing our attention to it and thinking through, because, you know, I've got a number of kids myself and the, the, the whole idea of, of losing track of one of them is like, we're constantly, as we get in the van, every time we get in the van to go anywhere, even if it's just to go to mass, we're, we're counting and we're doing a little <laughs> number off to make sure that we haven't left anyone. And so I, I feel very viscerally um, what that would be like. Uh, and, and so to, to imagine what Mary and Joseph must be thinking, what the, uh, the, the people who thought that the other person had them and the, the guilt that they might have taken on and felt because, oh, well, I shouldn't have made that assumption. And so taking the time to then meditate on that in this capacity was just a, a good experience and beautifully done. Well, thank you. And it's one of those punctures to the heart, right? I mean, you just think, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember once speaking at a, a conference um, on this and I actually had lost my iPhone. It fell out of my pocket and it was in the parking lot. Somebody found it. And ironically, the next day I'm speaking on this and I thought I lost my phone and I freaked out. Now imagine losing the son of God. You know, I thought, wow, right. <laughs> you know, and you know, and every parent knows that fear when you're standing in the grocery store, you're like, where, where did it go? Where'd it go? So it, yeah. it's very true, and it's it's nice that we can enter into that in a in a new and refreshing way. I think. Yeah, we're talking today with Kelly Walquist. She's the editor of the book "Gaze Upon Jesus: Experience in Christ's Childhood Through the Eyes of Women." You can get it over on Ave Maria Press. 
Don't go anywhere because there's so much more to this conversation to come right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Kelly Walquist. She's the founder of Wine, Women in the New Evangelization. And part of that ministry is a couple of books that have come out. One is Walk in Her Sandals, uh, the uh, which is a, a devotional process through the season of Lent. The other is Gaze Upon Jesus, Experiencing Christ's Childhood Through the Eyes of Women, which is a wonderful thing to do at any time of the year, but it focuses on that time around uh, that we, the things that we think are around Advent. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. It is a pleasure. I love it. I'll always talk about Jesus and wine and Mary. <laughs> These yeah. are good things. <laughs> so I want to spend a little bit more time talking about the women in the new evangelization um, and the ways that maybe someone who's listening is interested in the idea of this kind of um, women sisterhood, lifting one another up, recognizing gifts and utilizing them in that way, because we live in such an isolating time. Um, even... With social media, with how connected supposedly it's going to make us, there is maybe an increased difficulty of making connections face to face and in person. Um, I even find it, you know, we live in a, a small town in the Pacific Northwest, and the it's difficult to maybe coordinate schedules or maybe find uh, opportunities at the parish to connect other than just the coffee and donuts and waving at each other in the parking lot, feeling a sense of solidarity that uh, your kid was the one who shouted and mass today, but last week it was mine. And, you know, uh, there is this, this hunger for that kind of connection and belonging. Um, and so I'm curious in a, 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 typical parish like mine, how would um, a, a group of women get involved in this wine, uh, Women in the New Evangelization program? Is this something that just mainly happens uh, at events that you go to, or is there a parish level thing that they can bring into their own place? Uh, bring us through that process. Uh, it's a good Catholic answer, both and, right? Yeah. It's all, all of the above is the answer. Um, yeah, with wine, one of the things is we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. That was one of my things. I do want women to reinvent the wheel because we are so busy, you know, and it's why, why reinvent something? What was happening up, I can tell you a little bit where wine sprang forth from and then how they can come to catholicvineyard.com and learn all about all the stuff we have. Um, but I was, I would be leading a retreat in Des Moines and the women who are running the retreat been doing it for 15 years. Absolutely amazing. They had everything down. And then I'd be, you know, the next week I'd be at a leading a retreat in Baton Rouge. And this was this group's first time. Like, yeah. oh, and, and I was thinking, you need to talk to the women in Des Moines. You know, we, we should be sharing the, the, the fruits of what we're doing. And so that was kind of, that kind of was on my heart. And then I had, um, it actually was the Napa for the uh, Napa Institute and I got there a little bit early. My friend Patty was with me. And of course, you're in Napa and they give you a bottle of wine in your room. Yeah. And it was called Rosary Wine, which was cute, right? Rosary. 
And um, we were sitting there having a glass of wine, looking over the vineyard that has this beautiful statue of the Blessed Mother over the vineyard. This is Trinitas Cellars right there. We got the Trinity, right? And um, the Holy Father, it was Pope uh, Francis. He had just been Holy Father for three months. He he had given a kind of the off-the-cuff uh, interview on the plane. Now we're used to him. Before we weren't used to the law, but, but he called for a deeper, more profound theology of women. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what is he asking? What is our what is Jesus asking us through his vicar? And so right then and there, I invited 20 women to come to um, Minnesota to my lake home, like three months later, and just to a weekend of how can we can we talk about this and discuss and pray and what what is the Lord asking of us as women? And it, you know they're the busiest women. So right. I, from all over the country. So I thought three would show up and I had 17. And so we did, we had a really intense weekend of prayer and discussion and we all left there with intentional prayer. And so there's always someone in adoration one day of the week. And what I heard in my heart was, whereas the Lord said to St. Francis, rebuild my church, I heard heal my body. Mm-hmm. The body of Christ is battered, bruised and broken. And I need you as women working in these beautiful gifts I've given you in your womanhood. Um, to, you know, to be receptive and sensitive and generous and maternal and to heal my body, you know, because it doesn't matter at, if we physically have given birth or not as women, we're all called to be mothers where we are, we're all maternal, we're all spiritual mothers. You know, we have, this as part of our, our makeup. And so that's really where wine sprung forth from was really exactly what you're saying is coming together because it's so important you know i mean yes our relationship with jesus is is our personal relationship with him is super important but catholicism isn't a one-on-one sport right you know it's not we we, we grow we learn we worship in community and um, my first book is actually created to relate god's design for peace and joy and it is that we are radically relational and we need to be relational and we need to come together. So what wine women in the new evangelization does is it brings women together in different ways. One of them is our book clubs. And like you're, you're looking at this book thinking, Oh, this, you know, great, a book club look. And now it's so great to hear you say, but it's so much more. It's a Bible study. It's a prayer companion. And it is, you know, so it's that curiosity, right. That, you know, the young women are people hear the the word wine. They're like, I like wine. (laughs) And then, you know, we're like, well, come on in. So the curiosity that then culminates in Christ. Um, And they're never disappointed. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Some of our events we do actually have wine at, but we, so at catholicvineyard.com, we've got right now 12 books. Um, Three of them are from Ave Maria Press. So Gaze Upon Jesus and Walk in Her Sandals. And then are called by name, or yeah, are called by name 365 Daily Devotional as well. But everything comes with a journal and a study guide, and it's all on there. You, we've got any resource you want, you know, how how to do this with six people, how to do this with 150 at your parish. You know, so we have groups all around the country. We have West Texas Wine in Midland, Texas. We've got Cajun Wine in Baton Rouge. Uh, you know, Military Wine is Wine at Ease. Um, so, uh, it, we're a little nonprofit, you know, so I, I'm always encouraging people, if you're going to buy the book or the, the study guide journal comes together as a bundle, go to catholicvineyard.com, you know, and buy it from us because we're, we're like the little David to the Goliath of Amazon, you know, when people are, but I can save a dollar on Amazon, <laughs> like, or you can help, you know, grow the vineyard even more, help more fruit. Um, but it's all very simple and very fun. 
And we even have one coming up right now next week we're starting and it's everything's coming up rosy and it's Teresa Tamio's book. And we're doing it online in our virtual vineyard, which we've had for 10 years. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and everybody was in our vineyard. We're yeah. like, <laughs> we had our little niche, but it's great. I mean, all of it's good. Um, so we're actually doing Teresa's online. And so people can do it on a webinar on Tuesday nights, but they can go and do it with their group an hour before they can do it a day before two days before it does you know whatever it just all all fits and this one we're actually doing a live one in a vineyard so oh. it'll be kind of fun yeah you mentioned you have the book um created to relate and yeah. i think that it's important to note that if you're not in and i speak to to even Myself in this in this case, if you're not currently in a really good solid group, um, it's not just that. Oh well, you know, it would be nice to do that. We actually are made for that, and and are missing something essential to our own well being if we don't have that sense of community. And so it's the kind of thing of well, I can put it off until you know the kids are uh, in middle school, or tell the kid you know I'm I'm just gonna make it through this season of life and then I'll find it. Uh, you know, it, it would be like saying, well, I'm not going to really eat this month. I'm going to wait until some, <laughs> some later time when it's more convenient. Um, there is an essential need that we have to be, as you mentioned, Catholicism, not this one-on-one, -on -one, uh, merely this one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. It's the relationship with Christ and his church. And to find a way to to deepen that community, to deepen those reliances, because I just imagine if you had come to this idea and this topic and said, you know what, this is a really good thing. I want to write about walking in uh, in her sandals, and and so and then you went and you gathered all of your energy and your attention, and you did this book by yourself without community. It would still be good. But there would be something, some quality that's currently in this book that would be missing because of the other voices that were missing from it. And I think that same thing is true of our lives. If we just kind of white knuckle our way through our own life and don't invite community into it, we miss the input and the enrichment that we gain from that relational component. And it's, and it, it's fruit is joy. I mean, I will, I really believe that when you, when you get all these people together working in their gifts and you know, if you're working in your gift and one of those things with your, you know, like with a charism, I mean, it's like, you know what to do, you know, when to do it, you know how to do it. And then you do it and it's great. And you're like, why did I do that? You know, you, when you're just, when all of a sudden you're discerning your charisms or, you know, you do something, someone's like, you really, you're amazing at that. You've got that gift of this. Um, and the other thing is when you're working in your giftedness, it can completely exhaust you. It can, I mean, I, it can completely exhaust you maybe physically, but it just, you know, stirs you up and gets you going spiritually and emotionally, you know, you get that, that, that high. And I think that that is what we see, you know, with wine and with these women, whether they're speaking for us or singing or whatever they're doing, the, the authors definitely you know, to see them all working in their gifts. And what's really beautiful is, like I said earlier, that they rejoice in the gift of the other. It, there's no competition. I can 100, I can tell you that 100%. I mean, we're almost 10 years old. Um, well, we'll be 10 in, oh, I guess we'll be nine. So 10 in 2024. Um, we started early and here, here's another little Holy Spirit thing. Um, we had our first 
event in 2014. And then um, because it's a nonprofit, I filed all the papers in February um, to become a nonprofit. And we officially, Wine, Women in the New Evangelization, officially became a nonprofit on December 12th. Our Lady of Guadalupe, the patroness of the new evangelization. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, you can't make that stuff up. I mean, that's such a Holy Spirit thing. Uh, one of one of my uh, maybe, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? One of, one of my uh, obsessions is uh, to focus on next steps because no matter where you are, no matter what point in your development, uh, whether you are a brand new believer or whether you have been a, a missionary disciple for years and years and years, there's always a next step. But I also think very strongly about entry points. Um, for the person who's sitting here hearing the importance of community and feeling absolutely overwhelmed because they don't have that community and they don't know where to begin that community and they don't feel competent to start that community, uh, what resources are there either to help them help them start a community or to plug into community um, are there for them to begin the work so that they can begin to feel that joy. So then that, that then can increase their comfortability in this. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Number one, I would say go to catholicvineyard.com and check out what we have or any of the events or even our, our virtual vineyard, right? When we're doing our book study studies online. Because even if if you're more more timid and you know maybe don't feel like you right now are being called to have 15 people in your house to do this, or maybe you just want to check it out, um, well, you can do that. And then you you can be online doing this with us with another 150 people or whatever, and you're interacting with them. Um, I will say this: there are so many stories that I could tell you of women who have come to events alone, and they're just swooped in. I mean, it, it's just absolutely amazing. I, you know, um, there in one of them right now, Donna Luna Hernandez is our, a big leader. She's a, one of our, um, wine enthusiasts. She's one of our wine leaders in West Texas in Midland, Texas. And she just bought the book. Wasn't really planning on doing anything. Something happened with her order. And so she sent an email and I saw the email. So I thought, oh, I'm going to call this poor woman. You know, so I called her and she's like, what, you're calling me? How come you're calling me? <laughs> and so we had this great conversation and I invited her to the National Catholic Women's Conference, which was the first one ever done in our nation. It was under the umbrella of wine with Archbishop Shapu in Philadelphia in 2017. But it, it's that one invitation and it's on, it's on the back of everything we do is that one invitation can have an eternal ripple effect. So I invited her and she, she tells a story so beautifully. She came alone, I mean, to Philadelphia, had never been, I don't think she's ever flown alone, rents a car in the dark, trying to find, you know, Our Lady of Chestahova, you know, in, in Doylestown and gets there. Everything's pitch black and she's texting me and I'm like, oh no, we're here. And I went and found her, brought her in. And she's like, within 30 minutes, I had a family. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm surrounded by family. And it, so there's so many ways to come into it. I mean, if you, you can join us through the book club, you could do, join us through our retreats, through our, um, come, come with us to Italy, Wine and Shrine. Uh, the, those women are family. I mean, we, yeah. this is our seventh year doing it. And we have people who've been there two, three, four times with us. And they're still best friends. And they're all over the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll get together. So there, like I said, there is that, that, unity 
if you want to do this with a group of your own friends, like in your home, it's very inviting, right? Because it's a book club. After we had our very first event, we had we had 1,200 women at a conference or in our first conference. And we put it together in like three months. It was crazy. But I didn't want to, these women to have this incredible uh, mountaintop experience. And then be like, okay, have fun sliding down the mountain, right? right. And we want to, if we're going to, if you're going to introduce people to an encounter with Christ, then you need to also accompany them, right? If we're going to, if we're disciples, we need to make disciples. And so um, I wanted to accompany them somehow. So we did a book club, you know, and during the summer, we did uh, Lisa Hendy's book, The Grace of Yes. And at the end of it, I sent out a survey and said to women, why, what keeps you from doing something? You know, like a, what keeps you from doing like a Bible study or something like this? And the first response was too busy, right? And to what I, my my comment to that is, um, if you can bowl every Wednesday for forty years, you could <laughs> you can you can do this. And you know what I mean? But the, the thought is, if you find something you love and you get joy out of, mm-hmm. you're going to make time for it, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, we can do that. I know we can we can we can do that because women need each other. And then the second thing they said, well what if I say something stupid? So it was kind of that intimidation thing. Like, I can't be in a Bible study. What if I say something stupid? Well, I think the way that wine is put together, where it's an invitation into a book club, but you're also getting into scripture and you're learning Lexio Divina, you're learning Visio Divina, and you're learning Ignatian spirituality, um, and you're learning different prayers. I mean, we, we've got different novenas that you learn through our When Women Pray. Um, so I think that when you get into it, that way, it's just more um, easy to digest, I yeah. guess, I, I would say. And then you, once you're in it with your friends and now, you, you know, it's not, it's not intimidating. Well, then the next week you do say something stupid and y'all laugh and it's great. And then you're like, ah, I mean, and probably if you say something stupid or you think it's stupid, the person next to you looks at you and says, I was thinking the same thing, yeah. you know, it's yeah. so. We've been talking today with Kelly Walquist, founder of Wine, Women, and the New Evangelization. This is a great organization to be a part of. You can find more over at catholicvineyard.com. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you for having me. If you missed any part of my conversation with Kelly, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you can't get enough, well, I've got good news. There is more to this conversation. Each and every week, we go a little bit longer than the broadcast allows, and we make that extra segment available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we give them a couple extra questions with our guests and a deeper dive into the topic. You can learn more over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link and learn about that community. Look through some of the older extra segments that are now available to the public, and consider being a part of that community that gets those extra segments the week the show is broadcast. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, and so much more. You can learn more over at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 27. We don't often spend time in the Psalms here on the show, but I wanted to read this particular Psalm today as we have been focusing a little bit on contemplation. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on level paths because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We went ahead and read the whole psalm today, that's Psalm 27, and this is such a comforting psalm. We often think of contemplation as something we do when we have a little bit of extra time. Some, you know, it's it's a luxury, a thing that we do when we don't have the the cares of life pressing in around us. But the psalmist is telling us here in his prayer that contemplation is the source of his peace when the world around him is not peaceful. It's because he has answered the call of the Lord who said, seek my face. And he says, Lord, your face I do seek. It's because he has come to him and, and asked and made his prayer that he would be able to, uh, to, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Because that was his central thing, his central prayer, his centra- central focus. All of the other things, all of the, the turmoil, even those things where people were were set against him, where he had enemies out to get him. Even in those situations, he was able to respond in peace. And so I encourage you, don't wait until you have the the luxury of time to sit down and contemplate. But take the effort now uh, to spend time in contemplation of the Lord, contemplating on Scripture, perhaps using this lovely book as a means to begin that process so that all of these other distractions, all these other things that line up against you would be uh, put in their proper perspective, that we would see how small they are compared to the greatness of the Lord. 
Our reading from Church History Today comes from a sermon on the stages of contemplation by St. Bernard. Let us take our stand on secure ground, leaning with all our strength on Christ, the most solid rock. According to the words, He set my feet on a rock and guided my steps. Thus, firmly established, let us begin to contemplate, to see what he is saying to us and what reply we ought to make to his charges. The first stage of contemplation is constantly to consider what God wants, what is pleasing to him, and what is acceptable in his eyes. We offend in many things. Our strength cannot match the rectitude of God's will, being neither one with it nor wholly in accord with it. Let us then humble ourselves under the powerful hand of the Most High God and be concerned to show ourselves unworthy before His merciful gaze, saying, Heal me, Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. And again, Lord, have mercy on me. Heal my soul, because I have sinned against you. Once the eye of the soul has been purified by such considerations, we no longer abide within our own spirit in a sense of sorrow, but abide rather in the Spirit of God with great delight. No longer do we consider what is the will of God for us, but rather what it is in itself, for our life is in His will. Thus we are convinced that What is according to his will is in every way more advantageous and fitting for us. And so, concerned as we are to preserve the life of our soul, we should be equally concerned, insofar as we can, not to deviate from his will. Thus, having made some progress in our spiritual exercise under the guidance of the Spirit who searches the deep things of God, Let us reflect how sweet is the Lord and how good he is in himself. In the words of the prophet, let us pray to see God's will. No longer shall we frequent our own hearts, but his temple. And at the same time, we shall say, my soul is humbled within me. Therefore, I shall be mindful of you. The whole of the spiritual life consists of these two elements. When we think of ourselves, we are perturbed and filled with a salutary sadness. And when we think of the Lord, we are revived to find consolation in the joy of the Holy Spirit. From the first, we derive fear and humility. From the second, hope and love. That reading comes from a homily on the stages of contemplation by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. As we hear from St. Bernard, as we hear from the psalmist, there is something about contemplation that pulls us out of the immediacy of our current situations, of the things that, that would seem to be overwhelming to us, and brings us to a place where we can see God's goodness that sets all other things in perspective through fixing our gaze on God in his beauty and the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit, we receive comfort and peace and direction. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Lexi and all of those who support the show through Patreon. 
go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more, and come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls, on threads, the handle is also at StepOutsideTheWalls. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.